Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org. All right, if you got your Bibles, go with me to Matthew chapter 10. We're going to start there. Uh, as y'all know, Pastor has had us for a while. Um, not putting scriptures on the screens. We're just challenging you to get in your Bibles, know where it's at. I've even experienced in my own life, sometimes if I study too much with my iPad, I rely on it too much to even know where the books are at. And when I get to that place, I start going back to my Bible, making sure it's just incredible. So today I will end up throwing one up on the screen for you because I'm going to do it out of a different translation. But we're going to start in Matthew chapter 10. Speaking of our lead pastors, mom and dad, as you noticed, they're not with us this morning. So y'all pray for them because they are... They're trying their best. I mean, it's probably rough for them. They're in Houston right now at the PBR Invitationals. It was a gift given to them to go. So, I mean, you just pray for them. Somebody's got to do it. It might as well be them. Most of y'all didn't catch that joke. They're at a bull riding event in Houston. They don't need your prayer. They're having a blast, all right? They're doing fine. Uh, They were given this gift. As a matter of fact, they were struggling to leave because, you know, they've been gone quite a bit. But it was a gift, and... And they do love bull riding. Uh, but dad was kind of struggling the other day. He's like, man, I just hate to be gone again. I was like, well, look, if you feel too guilty, just give me the tickets. I'll go. That way the gift is not wasted. They didn't go for it. They ended up going themselves. So uh, Taylor, will you grab my water right there? I would ask Courtney, but it'll take her five minutes to get up. I love you, babe. Only because she is great with child. Isn't that how they used to say it? She was great with child or something like that. Anyway, I've stalled as long as I can. Here we go. Matthew chapter 10. How about we read some red writing today? Sound good to y'all? Matthew chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 34. This is Jesus teaching. Are you ready for this? Catch this first line. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. Wait a second. So all those Christmas songs are wrong. It's going to get real, y'all. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, says the Prince of Peace. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. The word used there for sword can actually be translated sword or war. Either way. So he said, I did not come, but I came to bring a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Catch 39. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake, we'll find it. Can we pray before we go any further? Father, I thank you this morning that you have come to just speak to us where we're at right here, right now. You have a word for us, so I pray that our hearts be ready to just receive, to take this word, to apply it to our lives, and see exactly what you're trying to teach us and lead us into. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. It's pretty crazy that this scripture, 39, we know a lot. We hear that a lot. That's a pretty popular scripture. If you've been in church for very long, you've heard if you seek your own life, you'll lose it. If you live for me, you'll gain your life. I mean, it's pretty, but I don't think we've ever understood the fact that it's in the same context as do not think I came to bring peace on earth, but I came to bring war, a sword, division. Everybody say my title. That was pathetic. Everybody say my title. Conflict. So Jesus shows up on the scene, and in the context of he who loses his life will find it, is in the context of don't think that I came to bring peace on earth, because I didn't. I came to stir up some stuff. And so within that context, I want to take this understanding, this teaching, and we're going to look at Peter's life and pull out some very practical things to teach us today, all right? So we're going to jump through. Before I do, I want to pull one scripture out of the Passion Translation. I'm going to throw it up on the screen. 
because uh, I know most of the time you don't carry the, another translation with you. But this is 34, Jesus speaking. Perhaps you think I've come to spread peace and calm over the earth, but my coming will bring conflict and division, not peace. I actually like in the Passion, and I, I didn't put it up there, the last scripture, 39, says, All who seek to live apart from me will lose it all. But those who let go of their lives for my sake and surrender it all to me will discover true life. So we're going to dive right in this. I'm going to jump over to Matthew chapter 14. Uh, you can just turn a few pages over. Matthew 14, verses 22 through 32. Listen, I have quite a bit of scripture this morning, but I am not going to apologize for it. I absolutely love scripture. Uh, I spend a lot of time in it, and you should too. So today, we are going to take some scripture, make sure we have every part of these stories, everything to back it up, all right? Matthew 14, starting in 22. Uh, you know this story. It's very familiar. This is where Jesus walks on the sea. We're going to read just straight through the story, okay? Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And we had, when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, Is it a ghost? And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him. I love Peter. Lord, if it is you, then command me to come to you on the water. Let, let's, let's look at this for a second. At this point, Peter's still not even sure it's him. Lord, if it is you, then tell me to come to you. So you're telling me, we see Peter as this, how do I do this? We see him climbing out of this boat like he's so just, this is Jesus. And I, No, he climbed out of the boat saying, if it's you. He didn't have all the answers. He didn't, have, he didn't know exactly what it, who it was. He didn't exa know exactly what was going on. But you know what he wasn't going to do? Let everything he didn't know keep him in the boat. God, is this really you? Jesus, if this is really you, because if it is really you, I should get to do something everybody else can't do. I'm getting way out of bounds here. Stick to the message, Josh. Peter said, if it is you, command me to come onto the water to you. And Jesus said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. I love how we read that today. We're like, oh, yeah, he just walked on the water. I'm just going to let it. He walked on the water. See, the problem is you read this story and you say, yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah, I've heard that before. I've heard he walked on the water. No, wait. No, he walked on water. What happened the last time you jumped in a pool? You sank. Some of you, very quickly. You sank. Peter walked on the water. Let's quit giving Peter a bad rap. How many times have we got up here and blasted Peter? Oh, Peter did this, and Peter cut his ear off, and Peter did Pe No, Peter walked on water. Let's, let's keep this in perspective. Peter walks on water. And I love that most of the time when we preach this scripture, you know what we preach? We preach this story. The majority of the times you hear this story preached, what are they going to preach on? And when he looked away, he sank. And religion won't even let you celebrate what he did because all you care about is that he messed up. See, religion, it won't let you celebrate the victory because it only can focus on the failure. But see, Jesus, not for a minute. Oh, come on. I'm not even preaching all that today. Gee, he walked on water. It's awesome to me. I guess I'm not as holy as some people yet. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. 
<laughs> I love that he got out, not sure if it's Jesus, but when he started sinking, he was straight up like, yeah, Jesus, get me out of here. I love this. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him, and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? This is crazy. Peter's walking on water. He begins to sing. Jesus saves him, and Jesus says to Peter, Jesus is not talking to all the disciples. He is specifically talking to Peter. They're not even back in the boat yet. So get this. This conversation we're about to talk, at, talk about, they're having this conversation standing on water. I wish, I wish the Bible would come alive to you. It would change your life. We are about to read about a conversation, and the conversation is had standing on water. Peter, you have a little bit of faith. Uh, Jesus, I know you're God and all. I'm standing on water. Peter, why you got little faith and you're doubting? Jesus, you missed a really important part here. See, let me help you for a second. How many disciples? Eleven disciples are sitting in the boat. Me, Peter, standing on water. In the boat, standing on water. And you're going to look at me and say, well, why'd you doubt? Why did they doubt? They're in the boat. Me, Peter, on the water. Eleven faithless disciples in the boat. And you're going to tell me, why you got little faith? Why are you doubting? Oh, I love this. You know why Jesus didn't rebuke the 11 disciples? Because they hadn't stepped into the realm that Peter had stepped into. And the realm itself warranted the rebuke. Oh, this is going to be too much, Scott. I'm, I can't handle this. Where he was standing put him in a position to receive a rebuke that couldn't apply to the ones that were still in the boat. What happens a lot of times is we start doing some good stuff and we start living for God and we start moving and then we get the rebuke and our first response is, well, what a, they, they, they're still sitting on a pew. They ain't done nothing. Why are you rebuking me? I'm the one out here doing something. This is too real. This is too, ain't it? I guarantee you, every person sitting in this room that has done any type of ministry, that's ever stepped out for God, that's ever done anything, when that moment comes, every single one of you, and if you say you haven't, you're a liar and God forgive you. You've said, well, what about them? They ain't doing nothing. Oh, I'm a pastor. You don't know how many times I've said this. Well, they ain't doing nothing. They're just sitting up. Why am I getting rebuked? And I believe Jesus was saying, because you're the one on the water. And once you've stepped into this realm, all of a sudden you go from here, now the standard becomes here. And as long as you're in the boat, you can be petty. As long as you stay in the boat, you can be petty and you can gossip and you can throw your little fits and you can act like a, more, uh, a kid. Help me, Holy Spirit. Let me stop and get some water. It's hot in here. As long as you're hanging out in the boat, Jesus will let you do whatever. Yeah, do your thing. But once you've stepped out on faith, all of a sudden the standard goes up. And now you're susceptible to a rebuke that they're not. And Jesus says, oh, you of little faith, why are you doubting? <laughs> Standing on water, why are you doubting? Oh, Peter... I'm totally convinced and it is my conviction that Jesus' plan was never to put Peter back in the boat. I believe Jesus' intentions was for Peter to walk with him to the other side. And the nine that decided the boat was the safest place to be, they could work their tails off rowing it across there. You missed it. You missed it. See, he was just going to walk all easily with Jesus because they're standing on the water having a conversation. They're just going to walk right across. But the ones who didn't have the faith to come out of the boat and experience another realm, guess what they're going to be doing? Whew. We're almost there. We're almost there. You know how I know that? You may be thinking, oh, well, that's a good theory. No, let me show it to you. Because what happens when Jesus showed up? 
what are they doing? They're freaking out, bailing water out and trying to, it's a storm and they're going, and Jesus is just like, what's up, fellas? You see what I'm saying? I believe his intentions was to show Peter, this is how I deal with storms. How do you deal with them? Let's read some stuff. See, what happened was Peter experienced a conflict that was warranted by the arena he was in. Those nine didn't have to deal with this conflict because they stayed in the boat. What happens is when you start moving up, it starts putting you in areas of conflict that you wouldn't have had if you would have stayed where you were. But too often, the conflict, we see the conflict as such a negative. You know what I mean? Like, oh man, here we go. Satan's on my back today. I heard a preacher say the other day, I knew more about Satan growing up than I knew about Jesus. Because that's all we ever heard. He's just on my back all day today, and he's done this. And, he, and we teach classes on the tools he uses and the weapons he uses. And, and we go through all this stuff, and it's all about him. And it's all about the enemy. And what's the, You better be aware of what the enemy's doing. No, the only reason, you have a, only reason you're experiencing what he's doing is because you're unaware of what God is doing. Total different thing. So where he was at, this experience, I believe, sets Peter apart from that moment. For the rest of the scriptures, you always see Peter as a leading forerunner of the apostles, of the disciples. Right? Let's, let's, let's take it a little further. I'll show you, some, I'll show you a little better. Uh, let's flip right over to 16. Just turn one page over probably. Matthew chapter 16. Uh, let's see, verse 21. No, not 21, I'm sorry. 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? The son of, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered. I love Peter. He said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And, God, and Jesus answered him and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Can I show you something real quick right here? This is pretty neat. A lot of times what we do is we read this and we think that Jesus is teaching. A lot of times we think that, how do I say this? Peter better understood Jesus' thinking, so he got this revelation. You get what I'm saying? Like, he was better in class than the other disciples, so the other disciples didn't really catch who he was, but Peter did. No, 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 no. Wait. Remember what Jesus, blessed are you for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. What was Jesus? He was flesh and blood. But my Father in heaven revealed this to you. You see this? It, it wasn't that he better understood what Jesus was telling them. It was that the Father, he had a relationship that God himself revealed this to Peter. So first we've seen Peter step out of the boat, walk on water with Jesus. Now we've seen Peter being revealed to by the Father on a level that the other ones have not. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and wherever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. And he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Pay attention right here. Ready? Verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, be killed, and be raised on the third day. And Peter took him aside, because Peter's the big dog, right? And began to rebuke him. You got to give Peter some major props. First of all, he's seen Jesus do some crazy, awesome things. He just seen Jesus walk on the water. He's seen all this that's happening. Not only that, we know now God himself just told Peter who Jesus is. And then he turns around and says, I should probably rebuke him. Let's see, of all the things I should do today, rebuke Jesus is not on my list Peter's like, oh, that's a bad idea. I should rebuke you for that idea. So Peter pulls Jesus to the side. 
away from everyone else, and began to rebuke him. Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, I was just saying if any of y'all knew it. Get behind me, Satan. Wait, wait, Jesus. You just called me the rock. I don't want to be Satan. I want to be the rock. And I don't mean Dwayne Johnson, although I wouldn't mind being that rock either. I'm just saying. Get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Can I tell you Peter wasn't the only one that didn't want Jesus to die? But Peter's the only one in this moment who gets the rebuke. Why? Because the level that he was on warranted the rebuke and the conflict that he was in. God reveals something to him. Everybody wants that moment where God reveals something to you. Can I give you a heads up? The minute he does, the minute he does, guess what's coming? A new level of conflict. If you just want to clap your hands and Jesus loves me, this I know because the Bible told me so, and that's the, that's the sum total of it all, then the level, your conflict will probably be, um, oh, I got a flat tire today. The, the, the persecution is just intense. I can't handle it. But when you start stepping into some arenas where God himself starts revealing some stuff to you, there's some conflict that comes with it that's warranted by the arena that you're in. It's not because you're wrong. It's because you're right. I feel like there's even leaders, uh, not even just the leaders, but there's people in this church who are moving in some areas and experiencing some things and having some encounters, and the conflict has got you second-guessing if you're where you're supposed to be. Can I tell you, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. The conflict is the proof that you're right. But we've been taught all our lives that the conflict is so negative, and it's not the right thing, and you must have missed it. How crazy does it sound when I tell you that in the Bible they believed if you had leprosy, God gave it to you because you did something stupid? That was their belief system. Or, let's tell you this, it's even crazier. Remember when the disciples come up on the man who was blind and they asked Jesus, who sinned, him or his parents? He was born blind and you just asked who sinned, him What, did he sin sin in his mama's womb? But do you see the mindset that, that, and so, but what's crazy, why am I telling you that? Because we've kind of stepped into the same thing in the church today. We've seen the conflict as, well, God's just, you know, that's just what he does. And and he, and, and, oh my God, how do I get this out of my mouth? My, my My brain's going faster than I can keep up with. And what we do is we start downplaying the conflict and seeing the conflict as something so negative when in reality you ought to be celebrating the fact that you're in conflict because the the 11 that sat in the boat, they didn't experience the conflict. Only the one who got out, only the one who took a step. There's a level of conflict that comes just because. Do you realize if Peter would have never followed Jesus, he would have never had to be rebuked? The fact that he was following Jesus warranted him being rebuked. It warranted the conflict. Jesus said, don't think that I came to bring peace, but I came to bring conflict. Most of you feel like your mind was in less of a war before you said yes to Jesus. You know why? You didn't care. It was just happening. It's just life. It's just... But now you've experienced something that's better than what you had, and there's a conflict in your mind of, will I do what it takes to get where I'm supposed to be, or will I allow the conflict to make me go back? See, this week I had a conversation with someone, and in the conversation I made a statement. I said, man, if I could go back, If I could just be one of the ones that just sits on a pew, shows up on Sunday morning, I'd be the best one they ever had. Pastors would wish they had 40 of me. If you just give me a normal 40-hour-a-week job, take care of my family, come to church on Sunday morning, pay my dues, man, I'd be so good at it. I'd do it so well. If I could just go back 
to my normal. You know why? There's no conflict in normal. There's no conflict. You, you don't have, me and this person were talking, and they were like, yeah, man, I just run into these guys just working jobs and taking care of their family and not really doing, you know, not really pursuing the kingdom. He said, and they just, they seem so, they're just light. There's no conflict. There's no war in their mind. There's no, you know what I mean? And, and, and it's kind of that like, man, what if I could just go back to that? That seems a lot easier. See, when I was just doing that, when I was just showing up on Sunday morning, just paying my dues and scratching that religious, you know, I didn't have, the pastor didn't rebuke me then. People weren't, I could flip out on somebody in a heartbeat. It didn't bother me. I could throw a little cuss fit. I could give you a piece of my mind, walk away, calm as I could be. Didn't bother me a bit. But now all of a sudden, when that happens, it creates this conflict in my mind. Because now I've experienced something higher than that. Show you what Peter did. Because Peter keeps experiencing this conflict over and over and over. And the greatest one we know of is Peter finally denies Jesus three times. The conflict finally grows to a level where they kill Jesus. They're threatening to kill everybody that knows him. And it's come to this place. So in John chapter 21, John chapter 21, you don't have to go there. I'm just going to read two scriptures real quick. John 21 and 2 says, Peter... And a few of the other disciples were together. This is after Jesus has been crucified. He's in the tomb. And Peter said to them, I'm going to go fishing. Seems harmless, right? But what did Jesus call Peter out of? Fishing. So what was Peter saying? Man, all this conflict ain't worth it. I'm, I'm going to go back to what I know. I'm going to go back to before the conflict. I'm just going to fall back into, this is just what I do. I know how to fish. I'm a good fisherman. There was no conflict. Jesus wasn't rebuking me when I was out there catching fish. It didn't bother me when I had to throw hands every now and then. I just believe Peter was scrappy. I mean, he was the first one to draw the sword. He was a fisherman. He was, he was a rough dude. Cussed at a little girl in one part. I mean, he's got, he's got to be pretty raw, I'm just saying. So he's like, there was no conflict then. I didn't have to deal with this when I was fishing, so guess what I'm going to do? I'm just going to go fishing. And what I love is all the disciples that are hanging out with him, they're like, oh, yeah, me too. Some of them didn't even come from fishing. They're like, oh, yeah, I'm going back fishing. I believe he's looking at me like, bro, you don't even know how to cast a reel. You know what I mean? But, but you know what it was? All them were having the same thought. They just needed one person to say, I'm going to go back. And what happens a lot of times is the people around you are struggling and they're just waiting for one person to say, you know what, I'm going to go back. And then all of a sudden, guess what? They'll go back because now they can go back with no conflict. It's so real. We get into this so often and we experience the conflict of moving forward and some part of us says, man, if I could just go back to, you know what I mean? I don't want to keep putting up with these kids on Wednesday nights. It was smoother before Y'all don't understand, I just spent three days replacing doors and door frames and door handles. And I could tell you how much money I had to spend, how many hours we put in. You know why? Because we bring in so many kids every Wednesday night. So you know what would be easier? Man, I don't need this conflict. I don't need to bring all these kids. And so there's that temptation of let's go before the conflict. Let's go back to where it was easy. But let me show you something about that. It sounds so good. It says, so Peter said to them, I'm going to go fishing. And they said, well, we're going to go with you. So they went out immediately, got into the boat, fished all night, and caught the same amount of fish that Colby catches when he goes. <laughs> Shots fired. Zero fish. Guess what? No conflict, no catch. No conflict, no productivity. No conflict, no... I'm not a thesaurus. I was going to throw it out of the good one, but I don't have one. You see what I'm saying? The problem is the no conflict sounds good, but it does nothing. 
It produces nothing. You catch nothing. There's no fulfillment. I could go back to riding a pew and being a Sunday morning Christian, but I'd be so miserable because I've experienced the fulfillment of walking in a level where everybody else may be hanging out in the boat, but I'm on the water and I'm dealing with the storm. And you know what? In the conflict, there's so much fulfillment. The problem is when you start letting the conflict talk to you about, man, you remember when? Man, come on, you remember back before you started getting up here and preaching? You remember that? It was easy, bro. You remember that? You remember when you didn't have to, you didn't have no responsibility up there? You remember when people weren't looking to you for the answers? You remember when people weren't relying on you to make the right call? You remember when people weren't, people weren't, people weren't, and all this is going, and you think, you know what? It was a lot easier before the conflict. And we, like Peter, so often think, I'm going to just go back. I'm going to go back to where it was easy. Guess what? Peter didn't catch nothing when it was easy. I believe they were miserable all night long. Just like, man, it was really cool when Jesus was raising the dead. It was much cooler when Jesus was feeding 5,000. But there had to have been the war of, yeah, it was awesome when he was doing But do you remember the conflict? You remember him running us out of the city, threatening to stone us? You remember sleeping on the side of the road? Remember the conflict? But I know there was that thing in Peter. As a matter of fact, we know it was because Jesus said, I'm praying that your faith don't fail you. Because as soon as they said, that's Jesus, what did Peter do? Dives out of another boat to get to Jesus. Why? Because that thing on him was thinking, man, there's no conflict here, but, but what I was experiencing with him, I now know was better than having no conflict. See, he didn't know before. He had to get back in the boat and fish again. And once he got back to normal, once he got back to what he knew how to do, and this is easy, and I'm just going through the motions, there was something in him saying, man, if Jesus was to walk up on that shore, I'd leave this boat in a heartbeat. I was getting ready for this, and I was just, I'd done some writing and some praying, and went home, and was in the shower, and the Holy Spirit asked me this question. Why did Peter even have a boat? Of course, I was like, I don't know. I hope you're going to tell me. But he began to show me. Jesus shows up in their fishing and then says, let everything go. Come follow me. And it says they forsook everything and followed him. Why didn't Peter sell his boat? Why did he still have a boat? Now, I know us Americans, we like to ration, well, you see, one day they were probably going to need a boat to cross the Dead Sea, and then, you know, then Peter would have his boat, and he could use it for the ministry. Or he could use it as an option to get out of it. See, what happens, is, the Bible tells us, make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. And we always make that about sin. We do that mostly because none of us ever get past sin. But what it really means is don't let the flesh do what it really wants to do. And you know what your flesh wants to do? It wants to go back to what it used to do before the conflict because the flesh don't like conflict. So when it says make no provisions for the flesh, it means sell your stinking boat. Don't give yourself the option. Because as long as the boat's still sitting there, when it gets rough and the conflict is real, you know what you're going to say? I think I'm going to go fishing. I think I'm going to go back to what I used to do. You want to know the difference between Peter and Elisha? What does it say Elisha did when Elijah came and called him? Some of y'all are quoting over here. I love Bible people. It says he killed the ox and burnt the plow. Now this is what I need you to know. He didn't go call some poor boy hiding in a cave. If you study their culture... He was plowing with 12 ox. You know what that meant? Money. He was doing really good. All right? So he turns around and says, I'm going to make sure I have no option to go back. And he kills all 12 of them. I bet his dad was so proud. 
kills all 12 of his ox, burns the plow and says, now I have no option. No matter what happens, I can't go back. No matter what happens in this moment, no matter how bad the conflict gets. Because remember, Elijah told him, you wait here, I'm going on. He said, no, no, I ain't waiting here. I ain't got nothing to wait for. I burnt everything. I left everything. There is no going back from this point. The only way I have to go is whatever way you go. Even in the conflict, even in the moment, even when the uncertainty, even in all the things and the mental war and all, he said, I have nothing to go back to. I have nothing to go back to. I don't have that option. I'm not making that provision for my flesh to do what it wants to do. What happens a lot of times is when we entertain the thought of going back to normal, you become susceptible to temptations that you've already conquered. Most of you are aggravated because you feel like you're in a cycle and you were like, oh my gosh, I thought I beat that already. You did beat that already, but then you started contemplating normalcy. And when you started thinking, man, it was better before the conflict, guess what Satan does? Boom. Try to deal with that lust now while you're contemplating that. While you're contemplating your normal life, deal with that pornography addiction again. Wait, 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 wait. I, I done beat all that. Yeah, but when you think about normal, you open a door and I let one fly. It happens every single time. No one falls before they first became unstable. You never trip and, no, first you become unstable and then you fall. See, what happens is you become unstable when you become double-minded because you know what happens? Your mind wants to be where you're at and your mind starts wanting to be normal again. And when you get into the unstable, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways and think not that he would receive anything from the Lord. Isn't that what James told us? And so when we get unstable in the, do I go back to normal or do I press in? What do I do? I don't understand. I don't see what's going on. You start getting unstable. And when you get unstable, he starts saying, you know what? Here's my chance. And he'll fire that thing in there and you'll think, whoa, where did that come from? It came from it came from you opening the door of going back. But man, it would be so much easier. It would be so much easier without this conflict. I'm, I feel like I'm the one that's always getting rebuked. I'm the one that's always getting this and always, you know why? Because you've stepped out into an arena that most people aren't in. And that arena warrants the conflict. You know what creates conflict? Going to a church like this. You could go to a... <coughs> got to tread real lightly right here. You could go to a church that doesn't fight for diversity. In other words, you could go to an all-white, middle-class we all think the same, we all drive the same SUV, and we all live in the same kind of houses. Therefore, we, and you could go to one of those, and guess what it would do? It would eliminate most of the conflict that you're having to deal with. My brother back here, Jermaine, you could go to all black church. It'd be a lot easier on you. You know that, right? You just a glutton for punishment, or what? But it's real. The conflict is in the fact that he's here because he could, you, could, you could go to an all-black church and nobody would say a word. It ease all the conflict. Nobody would care, right? You could go to a church that didn't worry about impacting their community. Just our four, no more. We sit inside these walls and we don't do nothing. And guess what? There'd be no conflict in that. And we could go back to that. It would be nice, which I say back to. I don't think this church has actually ever been that. But see, we could go to those areas, and then you do away with the conflict. You could, you could do away with the conflict by, I'm just, we're just going here, all right? You could do away with the conflict if we just started preaching cessation of the gifts. Right? Well, he don't really heal no more, and that stopped with the apostles, and we don't really do the whole speaking in tongue. We don't really do the whole word of knowledge thing. You know, it's, there's too much conflict in that. 
And we could do away with all that and live with no conflict. But guess what we wouldn't have? We wouldn't have Sister Eubanks sitting up here saying, they went in and did a scan and now it's gone. So you may not have conflict, we would have just lost someone. So what would you rather have? Would you rather have the conflict of I'm not really sure about all of it and it's kind of weird to me, I don't, I don't even get it all, but what I do know is that when people get healed, I'm thankful I was in that church. They'll quit shooting arrows and they'll quit saying things and they'll quit making up rumors about life church if we start doing away with all the things that create conflict. But if we do that, might as well, like dad always said, you might as well turn into a bingo hall. You might as well just show up, hang out, and play games. Because it ain't no conflict, but you ain't catching nothing. And you ain't making no difference. Because that's only found in the conflict. We could do away with the conflict if we quit getting up here and taking 45 minutes to take up an offering. I'm just going to be real with you. I walked in the sound room after doing a bunch of stuff in the back, getting ready. Colby was still speaking. I looked at Cass. I said, he hasn't shut up yet? Good God, he's taking up the offering. But you know what creates conflict? For me to talk about your money. I could do away with the conflict and quit talking about your money. But then I wouldn't be like Jesus because Jesus didn't care. He, he'd talk about money all day. You see? You feel me? See, I felt the conflict just now when I said money. And if we truly believe that giving is worship, then what if we switched it? What if we did an hour of giving and 10 minutes of worship? Y'all all leave. I'm, like, I'm out of here, bro. Spend an hour talking about money. It's conflict. It's conflict. You want to do away with that conflict? Stop giving generously. Stop giving till it hurts. You'll lose the conflict. And you may die with a lot of money, but you'll be so broke it'll be bad. It's conflict. You know how we could do away with a lot of our conflict? Stop preaching the word and just start preaching what's popular. I could quit preaching from all the red letters. Just give you some good feel-good stuff. Just get me jacked up today and I'll be good to go. But what that does is it creates a bunch of church drug addicts. And you just need to come on Sunday morning and get a hit so you can make it till next Sunday morning. And by the end of the week, you're so wigged out because you ain't had your hit that you'll cuss somebody, tear their head off, do whatever. But Sunday morning, I'm going to get in there and get my praise on. I'm going to get me some Jesus. Right? And it just holds. And we, no, 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 no. I don't want to get you excited. That's not the goal here. It's the conflict that we're in. There's a conflict when you start saying in a community like ours that our desire is to tear down racism. It brings a lot of conflict. I've, I've seen your pastor, I've seen dad had to have to take some pretty big blows in this community because we believe that racism is stupid. It's ignorant. It's demonic. And we're after it. And we're going to do everything we can to prove that it's as stupid as it looks. I'm trying to keep that aimed at racism and not people that are racist. It's really hard right now. Jesus is still working on me. You see what I'm saying though? But that creates conflict creates conflict because you don't understand it's been like this forever it's been like this for so many hundreds of years yeah well it was also there was also no voice of God for 400 years and then a John the Baptist showed up on the scene and guess what he did he started stirring up some conflict can I tell you guys we're in the conflict we're in right now not because we did something wrong. It's because we're doing something right. And when you move into that arena, it creates its own conflict that you wouldn't have if you went back. So for those of you in the room today that have been thinking, 
man, it would just be easier if I went back. It would just be easier if I just went back to normal because I'm just being real with you guys. I had that conversation this week. As, a, as one of the lead pastors in this church, I had the conversation of, man, it would be easier if they weren't looking to me to get it all right and figure it out and have it in order and make the right decisions and always call and always be the one to text and always be the one to do this. If all that responsibility wasn't on me, it would be a lot easier. So if I just went back to what it was before, I'm not in any way, form, or fashion. Don't you ever think I'm talking about backsliding. There's nothing that I know of in this moment. I understand the Bible says, let every man take heed that stands, take heed lest he fall. I get that. But in this moment right now, I don't think there's anything that would tear me away from my relationship with God. But, don't, but I have been contemplating I could have that relationship and not have to deal with all this. I'd still burn for him. I'd still live for him. I would be the best hand they had on that job. I'd be the hardest worker. I'd pay my tithes as excited and happy as I could. I'd show up to every serving day that they had. I would do all that and I would do it with joy and I would be excited. But it would be easier if I could do all that without the responsibility of the arena that I'm in. At a moment the other day, it was so incredible for me personally. Where in the midst of catching a lot of fire, just a lot of things going on, and even in this mindset, I had someone sit down with me and say, I get it. I, I feel sorry for you in a way because you didn't ask for this. You didn't beg to be in this position. You just got thrown out there. You just got thrown into it. And it was like in that moment of just having someone be so real and just be like, I get it. Because most of the time when you're living in these kinds of arenas and you're being progressive and you're chasing the kingdom and you're, you're doing all these kinds of things, that's never what we get. We get the shots taken at us. We get the weight of anything going wrong falling on us. I'm not up here looking for anybody's sympathy. I promise you that. But in that moment, I know it was God using this person to just turn something a little bit. And that's where this whole thing began for me. And he began to speak to me and show me some things about the conflict and about where we were and what's happening and what we're doing. And in the middle of it, it was like... It was almost like I could see the scene of Stephen being stoned for preaching the gospel. And in the middle of the greatest conflict of his life, he looks up and Jesus is standing up. Just clapping. And that's all. He, he didn't in the moment say, well, Jesus, why don't you get me out of here? Don't, you get, don't let him kill me. No, he was satisfied with this. I'll deal with the conflict if I know he's doing this. I'll go through the conflict if I know that he's proud of me, he loves me, he cares about me. I can handle the conflict. The problem is when you let the conflict drown out this. And I just felt the heart of your father this week. And can I tell you, Life Church, I am convinced within me that in the middle of the conflict we are experiencing right now, individually in all your lives and corporately as Life Church, I personally am convinced that Jesus is standing saying, I see the conflict. I see what's happening. I see what's going on. But I'm so stinking proud of you. I'm proud of you because when they said the bus will never work, you can't bring that many kids out of the projects in every week. We tried it and it failed. Six, seven Seven years strong, we still busting them in, loving the heck out of them. And God's just saying, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud because it would have been easier to go back to normal. After having experiences of trying to join black and white church and doing what we could and having some moments where it got rough and some things happened and, and, and all that, and guess what? We, we just kept pushing through. 
and we kept hanging in the conflict when they were telling us, if you just quit, it'd be so much easier. They were calling Dad Jim Jones, and all this stuff was happening, all this was going on. In the middle of the conflict, we could hear the voices saying, if you would just quit doing all that, is that even necessary? You know, you can go to heaven and not have to deal with all that. Yeah, but I'd show up with no crowns. And I want to have crowns to throw at his feet. I want to have crowns to throw at the feet of Jesus and say, it sucked and it was tough. And there was times when I wanted to quit, but I didn't. I didn't quit because all I needed was this from heaven. I didn't need anyone on this realm to give me an applause or to pat me on the back. I just needed to hear it from my father. And even though in the moment that crown feels like it's more than you can carry, it's going to be the greatest thing in the world when I throw it down at his feet. Life Church, don't fall for the temptation to entertain the thought of going back to normal. Because right now is a good chance. Right now is a good chance. I, I, I believe with everything in me, as a whole, we're at a fork in the road. And you're thinking, well, when this lines out and gets a little more normal, everything's going to settle. Can I tell you, it ain't about to get no more normal. If you're uncomfortable now, it ain't going to get no better. Because Paul said, we are not of those who draw back. We are not of those who go back. Life Church, we are selling our boat today. Kill the ox, burn the plow, sell the boat. Lose the option. Recently, uh, what time is it? My watch is dead. Uh, recently God revealed to me and my wife just some opportunities of, of some business endeavors that we believe we're going to uh, embark on. Just some excited things, things we love. And When he began to show me this, in the excitement and, and, and the awesome possibilities of what it could be and what it could do, the first thing I did was, of course, I went to my apostle. And I laid everything before him and said, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I think, this is what I believe God is showing us. I believe this is the move we're going to make. And uh, of course, by apostle, I mean your lead pastor, my dad. I went to him, I put it all, I said, I want you to pray about it, and I'm not going to make any moves, I'm not going to invest anything, I'm not going to take any tests, I'm not going to do nothing unless I have the approval of my apostle. And so he took it and prayed about it for almost a week, I think. He come to me in prayer. One morning we were over here, a group of us guys were over here praying. He'd come over to me and said, God has spoke to me about your, these endeavors you're, you're considering. And he said, God is pleased with you making these moves and you doing these things. He said, but before they can be what they're supposed to be, you're going to have to deal with some things. You're going to have to get some things right. And he gave me a scripture that says, if you got weary running with the men, the foot soldiers, how do you think you could run with horses? And I'd been contemplating this for a while, and it was an incredible moment because he began to show me some areas in my life that had to be strengthened before I could go on this journey. And I'm excited about the journey, but now I'm even more excited for the fact that some things are getting made right and strengthened for this journey. But the reason I wanted to share that with you is I, I, I feel like that's kind of where we're at right now. Like God is inviting Life Church into some incredible endeavors, an incredible journey. But if the conflict on this level has you contemplating going back to normal, how will you handle the conflict on the next level? There's a really cliche saying, and Dad's used it the other day. I laughed at him for it because I used to always make fun of this, but now I'm about to use it. That's what I get. Karma. Bigger levels, bigger devils. I guess I've always 
been against it because I, I hate to give the devil any kind of airtime. But what I will tell you is this. When you step out into a supernatural arena, it's going to bring a conflict that you didn't have when you were in the boat. We've already seen it on some levels, and I named a few today. There's probably much more in your own lives that you're thinking of personally, but these are just some of the conflicts that we're experiencing because of the level that we want to live in. But at this moment, if we're about to allow God to take us forward, the Bible says we go from glory to glory. If we're about to experience another glory and we can't handle the conflict on this level, how would we ever handle the conflict on the next one? So this morning, I do want to do an altar call, which is not uh, really normal, usually when I teach. But I want to do it like this. Uh, if you're at the place that I got to over the last couple of weeks, where you've been saying in your own time, man, it would just be easier to go back a little bit. It'd be easier to just back off a little. I mean, I, I can still get to heaven like this. I just need to back off enough to where there wasn't the conflict. Because your mind has been at a war. Your mind has been in this war and you've been thinking, man, I wasn't in this conflict before. Courtney and I got to go on just a little mini vacation a little while back. We took Steve into Legoland and spent a few days in Grapevine and it was incredible. It was so fun. We had a blast. And you can ask her, we got in the car and started driving home, and we weren't in the car an hour, and you could feel it coming. You could feel the conflict. And she made the statement, man, we're just now on our way home, and I already feel the conflict. For us, it was the conflict of pastoring when we get back. It's just real. We don't like to talk about it, but it's real life. That's where you've been at this week two weeks, three weeks, a month. I don't know how long. But if that's you, these altars are open. You can come up here. If you want somebody to pray with you, we will. Uh, there's nothing special we can pray over you. But I just want you to have the opportunity. If you've been in that place and you've said yourself, it would be easier to just go back right now, then I want you to come up here today. I want you to come find a place. Go to God and say, God, forgive me. I'm selling my boat. I'm, I'm killing the ox. I'm burning the plow. While these are praying, I want to just remind you of this scripture we started with. Where he said, Think not that I came to bring peace calm on the earth but I came to bring conflict and division and then he wraps up this teaching with all those who live to seek apart from me will lose it all but those who let go of their lives for my sake and surrender it all will discover true life that is the conflict to lose your life to let all of yours go so that you get to live in his that's the conflict we're talking about and it's so real And I'm, I'm convinced of how real it is, for one, just by the response this morning. Because we know that responding to something like this is opening me up for that next level of conflict. And I believe this is one of the reasons that Jesus taught, count the cost. Know what it's going to take. To live in this area, to live in this arena, know what it's going to cost you. Don't, don't come into this thing blind. But stop and know it's about to stir up some stuff. It's about to create some conflict. But I want to be like Peter when Jesus showed up that morning after they'd been fishing all night. And he had tried going back to normal. But when Jesus showed up in that moment, he dove into the water and swam to the bank. I believe that was him saying, God, forgive me for going back. Forgive me for going back to normal. It wasn't worth it. Forgive me for going back to before the conflict. 
I asked dad a question this week in preparation for this. I said, do we grow to the point where we get past the conflict? And he never gave me a real answer. And I've been praying about it and thinking about it all week. And I've been wondering, have we done ourselves an injustice by always looking ahead to that time when maybe there's no conflict? And we've been so captured by the possibility of one day not living in this conflict that we haven't lived in the moment. We've been so caught up, whether it's your, your, your um, eschatology of one day we get out of here and get to heaven and then everything's better, or even if you believe one day here on earth it's going to be that much better. Either way, we've been so focused on getting to a place with no conflict that we haven't created what he wanted to out of the conflict. Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org.